Hello, I'm Lori Crow, licensed massage therapist, certified Reiki master teacher, certified life and wellness coach, registered yoga instructor, and student of science pursuing a doctorate in neuroscience. Come journey with me. This podcast is all about the mind-body, integrating holistic practices and scientific information to give you various perspectives on mind-body healing. I will share anecdotal experiences with anxiety and depression, as well as information grounded in science. Remember, you are the navigator of your life, and you are your own healer. Some housekeeping and disclaimers before we begin. Encourage self-exploration and self-reflection, so I recommend having a journal or a notebook handy. I also want to frame my episodes around your questions and stories. So if you have something to share regarding the subjects that make up this podcast, please email me at healingcompasspodcast at gmail.com. You can be kept anonymous, so just let me know. Keep in mind that I am not a doctor or a therapist. You can also find me on Twitter and TikTok. The handle is Sway Narrow-Minded. This will be in the text of my podcast, so you can refer to it, as well as my link tree. Also, be sure to subscribe to my podcast so that you can stay informed of new episodes. If you are a holistic practitioner, mental health professional, or neuroscience professional yourself, let's team up. Let me know if you would like to be a part of an episode. I encourage collaboration and hearing different experiences and perspectives. If you feel suicidal or are having difficulties with daily functions and activities, please seek help immediately. There are resources out there and people who care. Please check my link tree, which is referenced in each episode, for links and phone numbers to helplines and professional help, as well as reference sources from my episodes. Keep in mind that healing journeys require some discomfort, and that's okay to step out of your comfort zone, but you are in control, and you can go at your own pace. Let's do some exploring, shall we? Hi, I'm Lori Crow, licensed massage therapist, certified Reiki master teacher, certified life and wellness coach, and registered yoga instructor, as well as being a student in psychology heading into neuroscience. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. In this episode, I am going to focus on how our bodies communicate with us constantly, 24-7. It is, uh, our bodies are our number one messengers in life from bodily functions, pain and discomfort, to stress and emotions. But before I continue, um, there was a correction I wanted to make for episode one. I had mentioned that uh, neuroscience was only a few decades old. Uh, I tend to have this weird, confused mindset being of the Generation X and thinking that the 90s was just yesterday, um, (laughs) not too long ago. Uh, However, it was over 20 years ago, so I'm aging myself. So neuroscience itself became an official area of study in 1964, so over 50 years ago, but that's really new in the science field. Um, So it's still a fresh area of study, and it has, we have so much more to learn and discover about the brain and the nervous system, and I am so excited to soon be a part of that. So I just wanted to clarify that really quick. So the title of this episode, The Body Talks and Meditation Helps, is a title of a song from an artist that has empowered me with his words, and I use this phrase 
constantly. I even had a sign made with this quote that is hanging on my treatment room wall. His info, NACO, NACO and Medicine for the People, it is in the text of this episode, so you can check him out. When I say music is an amazing healer, you may understand what I'm talking about, but Nako's music is a great example of that. Uh, I will have an episode dedicated in the future just talking about the healing power of music. So back to the subject at hand. Our bodies tell us everything. You can usually tell when you're cold, hot, thirsty, hungry, tired, but What about everything else? Yep, that too. It constantly tells us what is wrong or what it needs and what we need to do. Some of these things may seem obvious, but some may be kind of hard to wrap our heads around, especially if it's not tangible, such as with stress and emotions, trauma, depression, and so on. We seem to be very detached from body and mind. So I'm going to break this topic down into segments today, focusing on different aspects of body messaging for different situations. I will continually come back to this foundation in my future episodes, which will allow us to tune into our bodies and manage stress in a whole new light. Know that this and other episodes can provoke some deep thinking, self-reflection, and even memories to come up to the surface. Sometimes we're not fond of digging deeper and facing some of that hard stuff, and it's okay to step away if you need to, but I encourage you to continue on your healing journey as it is going to take that motion of endurance in exposing yourself in that vulnerable sense to revisit some discomfort in order to grow and overcome. With this episode, it is setting the groundwork for all of my episodes in not just journaling and self-reflecting, but tuning into the bodies so that we can begin to process things in a healthy manner instead of recycling through our old thoughts. Um, Tuning into the body is key. It is vital. And I will be providing suggestions of how to do this so that you can discover what works you. Remember any questions, any questions that I present in my podcast that are directed to you are for you to self-reflect on. So whether I intentionally prompt you to journal or not, be sure to have a journal or a notepad handy to allow yourself some discovery in order to work through or overcome certain aspects of your life while you are on your healing journey. I mean, why else are you tuning into this podcast, right? And just to reiterate, I am not a mental health professional. The insight and information that I share is coming from my training and experience as a holistic practitioner, as well as in the psychology and science realm, and the firsthand and secondhand experience in my personal life. I will always refer to professional resources and site sources when needed throughout my podcast for your reference. There is a Linktree link that you can visit at any time to see all of the sources I cite, and then some, and that will always be included in the text of my episodes. First and foremost, we probably all know that all ailments are stress-induced, whether abrupt or gradual. The various ailments are caused by overworking the body or lack of sleep, what we consume, 
current stressful situations, past emotional or physical trauma, unhappiness, sadness, loss, and grief, and even at the time of conception or while in the womb, all which can lead to pain, tension, digestive issues, autoimmune diseases, the flu or cold, COVID, and even cancer. Some of us may feel that we don't have any past trauma or that we handle stress well, but yet we deal with physical issues and it perplexes us. I can say that no one is perfectly healthy and (laughs) stress-free. We all have our stresses and believe it or not, our own coping mechanisms and compensations when it comes to stress. Stress, what is it? We tend to label it as an internal thing, but where does it come from to begin with? Well, let's look at stress in a broader sense to get an idea of how we can view it and manage it in our own lives. Could you imagine a life that is stress-free? What would that look like? Chances are you can't even begin to fathom what that would be like to live completely stress-free because stress comes in various forms and stress isn't provoked out of thin air. It requires an external force. Work, home life, family, parents, children, relationship and marriage, house and chores, the car, commuting, dealing with others, divorce, finances and bills, something breaks or breaks down, something doesn't work out as planned or hoped, Uh, travel, moving and relocating, social media, news, politics, social issues, natural disasters, car accidents, trauma and abuse, violence, either first person or third person as a witness. I could go on, but you get the idea. Even if an event is happy and exciting, like moving to a place you desire or getting married, as well as tragic event that is witnessed and not experienced firsthand, it is still stressful because they're all presenting challenges for us. And the more responsibilities that we have, the more stress we will face in life. That's just how it is. Some we choose and some we don't, but also lack of responsibilities can lead to an unhealthy lifestyle because we are meant to face challenges. We are equipped as anti-fragile beings to take on stress and use our fight or flight mechanisms to work through stress. A great book I love to recommend for you to check out is titled Anti-Fragile and it's by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And he focuses on the strength that we have as human beings given the capability of handling stress and uncertainties that come our way. I mean, our bodies and minds can handle a lot more than we think, more than we give them credit for, but we also have to maintain them and treat them well along the way. Here is something to remember. Stress is external. It becomes distress when we internalize it. So let me repeat that and jot this down. It can help. Stress is external. It becomes distress when we internalize it. There are two types of stress. There's eustress, 
which is healthy stress, and distress, which is the negative reaction taking over our physical self. Our bodies become in distress trying to get our attention that something is wrong and that something needs to be done in order to not allow it to get worse. It can be subtle at first, like minor aches and pains, a headache, stiffness, feeling fatigued, upset stomach. But if we ignore it or just fight through it and push through it, it can and most likely will get worse or just compile. A great TED Talk to check out is How to Make Stress Your Friend by Kelly McGonigal. Uh, The link is in my link tree for your reference. So would you ignore a broken arm or a deep wound that's bleeding profusely? Well, then why would you ignore these other messages that our body is sending us? Though they're subtle, they are just as urgent to tend to. Same with our mental health, sadness, anger, lack of motivation and concentration, fear, self-doubt, fear. That's a whole other conversation in its own, and I do want to address that separately in a future episode. There is unhealthy fear and healthy fear, so um, I do want to talk about that later. But moving on, let's now break this up into different aspects of body communication. Pain. Let's talk about pain for a minute. When we feel physical pain or discomfort, we tend to immediately think that it's bad, we may even complain about it, and that we just want it to go away or at least lessen enough that we can function without the annoyance or limitations of that pain. You know, our low back, neck, headache, feet, knees, hips, digestive pain, uh, overall chronic pain. Ask yourself, first, how long has this type of pain been bothering you? Really take a moment to think about that. And has the pain gradually gotten worse or more frequent? Has it affected your life, your work? Um, And what have you been told by professionals or others in general about your pain? Do you believe that no one can fully understand your pain? Do you know the cause or causes of your pain? Like really know. You may be sitting at a computer all day or being on your feet or physically working hard or even from a car accident or fall in the past or an activity that you pursue or have pursued in the past on a vigorous or routine level. But can you ask yourself it is if it's deeper than that? Again, I suggest if you do deal with pain in your life, I want you to rewind that little bit uh, of all those questions that I just asked and try to answer them for yourself thoroughly, truthfully. You know. So again, asking yourself, is it just stemming from a physical stressor or is there an emotional stressor involved? And if so, is that emotional stressor the precursor to the physical stressor, or is it the aftermath of the physical stressor? What is hindering what? Past emotional trauma and stress versus mental health or mental resistance to the physical pain. So again, it can go both ways. Something you may not be aware of is that the autoimmune pain, such as things like MS, fibromyalgia, 
have been linked to childhood trauma, though it's not an absolute correlation, uh, though, as I mentioned, all ailments stem from stress. Autoimmune diseases, including those of pain, are called autoimmune because science and health professionals cannot determine or tack on one single cause. They find that every individual with an autoimmune disease have different situations and body anatomies and functions, and sometimes they will take into consideration the mental health aspect, uh, the factors of their upbringing and their past that can definitely have some influence. Something that's hard to accept is that pain is our friend, going back to that TED Talk that I was just mentioning. You may have heard that before, but perhaps not in this particular context. Not that pain is good in a way that we should enjoy it, but that it is simply a message that something is wrong and that we should listen to it and act upon it. I like to think of those digital freeway signs or traffic reports that tell you that there's an accident ahead on your route and that you need to either slow down or perhaps take a detour. So you can kind of create your own analogy here, but I like using that one because of the message to slow down or detour. When we feel pain, we need to acknowledge it when we need to do something about it. We wouldn't just plow through or speed by an accident on the freeway, so why on earth would we do that to our body? We don't like interruptions or disruptions in our life or in our physical health, but they happen nonetheless. Well, if we can perceive pain to not be a disruption, but simply a naturally occurring phenomenon that tells us something isn't functioning normally, just like with an appliance or a car or an electronic device, except that those things don't last our entire lifetime usually, they only last their set lifetime. And we may be able to maintain them and fix them if we tend to them early on instead of running them into the ground. Well, we as people all need cleaning, oil changes, a certain amount of energy to run, tightening of nuts and and bolts, uh, charging our battery, so to speak. So finding your particular oil can or energy source or sources or fuel or resting state, resting period and tune up and maintenance that you need in order to continue functioning on a healthy schedule and pace, that is key. There are so many things that you can do to prevent, to remedy, and to manage pain. Uh, From working on decreasing stresses in your life that you can control, to therapies and what you consume. Uh, Medications can be beneficial in the short term and the immediate span, but can take a toll on cell growth and the digestive system uh, if they're taking in excess or for a long period of time. Uh, it can help by seeking ways of natural, uh, naturally helping the body, um, you know, from getting better rest, getting on a better rest regimen, <laughs> to breath work and meditation, yoga, massage, acupuncture, chiropractic care, exercise and stretching, diet change, herbs and supplements, some of which is a good idea to talk to your primary care provider, especially if you are under the care for a medical condition. But there is so much within our reach. And if you can't afford some of these things, one, look into what you can afford. 
whether inexpensive or no cost at all. And two, when it comes to your health, monetary excuses should not get in the way. Budgeting for a yoga class or a massage when you can, make the appointment, book yourself to commit, stash the money aside in a savings or a jar that's just dedicated and reserved for your self-care. You will thank yourself later, your body will thank you. Know too that with natural therapies that they do take time and more frequency to do to feel the effects. So patience is a virtue. Nothing is going to happen overnight. If you can't receive treatment on a regular basis, find things that you can do in between sessions that won't cost anything. Usually somebody like a a physical therapist, massage therapist, chiropractor will give you suggestions to do at home. Do them. They aren't just doing it just to say it. They want you to get better. So do those exercises and suggestions. Um, That is if they work for you. If they don't work for you, make sure the next time that you see them, you let them know and that way they can help you troubleshoot that exercise or stretch or whatever you're doing to see if there's something that you need to adjust or find something else that does work for you. Again, they are on your team. They're on your side to help you get better. So at least they should be, but they need to hear from you. They need your feedback. After all, you are on your own healing journey and it helps to have others to guide you or facilitate that healing journey. You are your own healer essentially. So tuning into your body and following your compass is vital. No one can fix you, cure you, make you feel better without you taking the initiative to do it for yourself first. That is the first step. Sometimes some things that help you in the long run that are on the natural end of things can also elicit some minor discomfort at first or they might not taste great if it's something you consume but it shouldn't be causing you agony or exacerbating anything. So a little discomfort is okay, but you definitely don't want it to be exacerbating anything or making things worse. Don't give up. Give these things time. If your body needs to heal, it takes time. And the longer that your body has been in distress, the longer it is going to take to heal. So remember that. Um, So if... If you feel you've been doing something long enough uh, that you should be seeing or feeling results, ask a professional about a good range for improvement. Uh, Then either move on to something else or combine it with something else. I know that the trick is finding that right combination to that you that your body responds well to. Every body is different, literally. If you have questions about any of the therapies or natural remedies that I've mentioned or anything else, feel free to email me uh, that is provided in the text of the podcast in each episode, and I can do my best to give you feedback, uh, information, and point you to uh, resources, uh, what I can do within my scope and not give any advice or diagnose. Now let's move on to hormones. Let's talk about hormones for a second. This is where we will uncover how we handle stress physiologically. 
As I mentioned already, stress is an inevitable part of our lives uh, that it comes to us from an external force and it depends on how we handle it in order to make sure it doesn't become a physical distress. Typically, bad stress or distress takes on the body in the form of pain or even tension, digestive upsets, and so on. But now let's talk about hormones for a second. Physiologically, we have different types of hormones that are released in different situations. Serotonin, our happy hormone, oxytocin, our love hormone, various endorphins are released depending on a positive or feel-good situation. When we feel good happy, calm, or even excited and joyous. Our stress hormones, cortisol, epinephrine, adrenaline, norepinephrine, kick in when we are faced with something more negatively. Adrenaline can actually occur in both positive and negative experiences if we are in any way in an excited state. So our nervous systems consist of the brain and nerves that run through our body. This is an obvious demonstration that the body and mind are connected. With the hormones, they're they're basically vehicles on a superhighway of messages and responses between the brain and the body. From muscle reflexes, such as catching something falling or stepping on the brakes of our car or running or freezing, we have two parts of what's called our autonomic or our automatically responsive nervous system. Um, This autonomic nervous system operates without our voluntary or conscious contribution. It just automatically happens. It literally runs on its own. So the two parts of the, uh, the autonomic nervous system are the sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight, and then our parasympathetic, which is our rest and digest nervous system. We are in our parasympathetic nervous system when we are calm, resting, happy, sleeping. Our digestive system has the time to properly cycle and our cells can reproduce properly because we are at rest. If we are in a stressful situation, we are tapped into our sympathetic nervous system because our hormones can prepare us to either fight or flee. Uh, If we are more often than not stuck in our sympathetic fight or flight response, there is not adequate time for our hormones to be released that help us rest and digest. Um, our fuel and ammunition to be able to come back to our, you know, sympathetic fight or flight response when we need it. Uh, Things can, basically our system can get out of whack. And if our system is confused and broken, it can lead to such conditions as anxiety, PTSD, and depression. Many automatically think that this means that there is a chemical imbalance. There is per se, but it's not necessarily a permanent thing. Uh, In a biopsychology class I've taken, it was eye-opening to learn the stigma behind the term hormonal imbalance. When a mental health professional says a client has a hormonal imbalance, the client can typically, they think that it's just irreversible and now it's just a part of who they are. I'm not going to go into depth about the physiological process here because, again, I'm not a medical or mental health professional, but just know that our bodies and brains alike are amazing at repairing themselves, 
but that usually requires preventative care as well as catching an error or red flag in the system and knowing what to do early on. This doesn't happen a lot of the times. We push through, we suppress, we ignore signals. So we end up needing to seek professional help such as a doctor or taking medication and such, and that's okay. But speaking of stigmas, there's been a stigma on mental health for some time as if we need to be embarrassed by it or embrace it as a part of us. There is not enough education or normalcy on communicating our feelings and our struggles and asking for help. The mental health care system in the U.S. could definitely use some refining with some new approaches as well as better accessibility. I know that social workers are overloaded and they're not able to give adequate time and devotion to their clients, uh, as well as being on a very narrow treatment protocol. Uh, private mental health professionals are also becoming overwhelmed and are booking out more so uh, coming out of the pandemic. And it can also be a struggle to find one that accepts your insurance uh, and that you connect with. I know that in my state, uh, they finally passed a very thorough bill, an extensive bill to allow for an extensive health education, including sex education, mental health education, nutrition, uh, in the K through 12 schools. And I'm very happy uh, to hear of this. Um, like I said, it is going to heavily focus on mental health as early as kindergarten. Um, and again, this is going to educate young ones at an early age to be okay with processing and sharing their feelings, their thoughts, their emotions, their struggles, and that it's okay to ask for help. Uh, this needs to be taught and known all over. And mental health care access needs to be heightened greatly. It's definitely going to take a while though. And also with chronic pain, an interesting statistic here is that a huge percentage of people who take time off work is due to chronic pain. That is if they can afford the time off. If they don't receive paid time off benefits or healthcare benefits, they're likely to just continue working through their chronic pain and not seek help, which can lead to burnout and lower productivity. So the healthcare system in, just, is, in general is just not focused on preventative care or the well-being of workers. And instead, workplaces are seeing more injuries in employees with chronic pain, which can lead to lowered productivity. But if we could have a system that focused on preventative care, benefits for all people, paid time off, and even less working hours, we would actually see more productivity in the workplace. More would actually get done. This has been uh, ongoing, you know, study after study that I have come across. And there's a couple links in the link tree provided for you about this. Um, so I'm just going to step off my soapbox about this really quick. And you can check out the links in my link tree. It is interesting to think about where we carry our stress. And I know that you have probably said this at one point or all of the time for that matter. I carry my stress in my shoulders, in my neck, in my low back. And I've even come up with a theory, a concept of certain types of emotions that we carry in different areas of our body. 
which I will discuss in a later episode, but maybe take a few moments for yourself to think about where you carry your stress and brainstorm on what you may think it can relate to in regard to emotions or past situations or experiences in your life and how it can correlate with a particular area of the body. You may not have any clue, that's okay, but it doesn't hurt to explore this and ponder this. And again, later I will discuss this in detail, so stay tuned. Now, let's go to something a little lighter. Decision-making and nervousness. Gut feelings. Intuition. Yes, our body gives us cues with these things as well via the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system responses. Something fascinating where I was able to finally connect the dots, like finally things came together for me and had complete clarity, was a documentary episode I watched on Netflix called Human, the World Within, and uh, episode one called React. In talking about these nervous system responses, they mentioned how with the sympathetic fight or flight activation, there's certain responses in our body when it comes to fight or flight. So we can have like a rapid heart rate. Uh, We could feel like we're trembling and shaky, uh, shallow breath, uh, pallor, um, feeling pale, sweating, so on and so forth. But what was so fascinating and it just helped me click everything together When our bodies carry blood away from areas of less function priorities, such as our digestive system, when it comes to a stressful situation, see our digestive system doesn't have to work in in a stressful situation. And so that there's blood flow that is going to be carried away and pulled to places like our legs in order to think on our feet, so to speak, um, so that we can fight or flee. And so there will be less blood flow in our digestive organs, which causes that sensation of butterflies in our stomach or the chills in our arms due to lack of blood flow to our skin. So that's what those sensations are when we get the chills or we get the butterflies in the stomach. It's lack of blood flow. Wow, totally makes sense. (laughs) Well, when you feel nervous or scared, or even just indecisive. Our bodies can give us hints as to what is going on and what we need to do. If we are getting ready to be in front of an audience or we get into a heated argument, we need to be reminded to breathe deeply. And usually sometimes we know to do that or we just do it. We just take a deep breath, which can bring blood flow back to all areas to calm yourself, to tap into the parasympathetic rest and digestive system. Sometimes we can even sense what we need to do without even knowing what is going to happen. Some people can have inklings or gut feelings about a situation or a person, and their hunches are always right. But do we always listen to that physical sign? No. A few months, here's an example. We all want to have faith in others or think that we're just, you know, kind of tripping or, or we're just crazy and we brush it off as probably nothing. But here's an example. A few months after um, moving into our current home, I remember seeing several cigarette butts near our walkway and I got an instant knot in my stomach like someone was smoking right in front of our house and maybe they're watching us. But I brushed it off. Days later, 
we were broken into. I knew right then that my body tried to warn me. It's eerily amazing to think that our bodies can detect danger. You may have had an experience yourself. I'd say it's better to be safe than sorry. Listen to your gut. Regardless of the issue, the circumstance, or the condition, take the time to listen to your body. You may be asking how. Well, the best way to do this is start training yourself to do so. Somatic meditation or body scanning is one of the most beneficial exercises to not only give us the retraining to tune in to our bodies, but to also get out of our heads, especially when we're stressed, angry, worried, anxious, depressed, even traumatized. In these instances, we are very, very disconnected from our bodies, and that's when they are responding the most with those sympathetic responses, the rapid heart rate, the shallow breathing, sweat and pallor, shakiness, tense muscles, right? So doing a somatic body scanning daily will help it become easier to just tune into the body under stressful situations and even when it comes to working through pain and discomfort. It again also helps you to get out of your head if you are thinking too much. It's a great exercise for for bedtime. You can find apps or even YouTube videos. I've included a couple in my link tree uh, that have guided meditations to help you with this, or you can do it on your own accord. Simply, uh, as an example, start either at the head or and work your way down, or uh, start with one of your feet and work your way up, focusing on one body part at a time. You can be as specific as as you want and as thorough as you want going to each toe or just the toe, toes in total or the whole whole foot itself um, that goes for every other area of the body you can be as specific and thorough as you want i would say the more restless you are the more specific and thorough you should get with the body scan it can really help and just know that you are just focusing you're just noticing what these body parts, body areas feel like without judging what you're sensing or trying to fix anything. That is, unless you notice, you might be tensing up, you know, holding tension somewhere such as, uh, you know, your fist or your forehead, you're scrunching your forehead or something, or your jaw. Uh, Then you can choose to relax it, but without judgment. Another technique uh, to do this is to locate a place of resource in your body, a place that feels okay, good, comfortable, that you can tune into when you need to, when you're under stress. And then during a meditation, finding that place of resource and then going to a place of discomfort or a place that's not feeling okay. And then going back and forth between the two can be very therapeutic. Um... Another way to apply the somatic meditation is for pain. Using this previous example of going uh, between the place of resource and then finding a place of discomfort and going back and forth. Uh, It kind of elicits what's called the pain gate theory, which I'm going to briefly mention here in a little bit. So the first time I ever did a body scan somatic meditation, after a while, I noticed that I wasn't quite asleep but I was so relaxed 
that I felt like I was outside of my body, observing it from above. Yes, like an out-of-body experience. I couldn't believe it. And as soon as I noticed it, of course, it startled me and I had to start all over again. But it was right then and there where it affirmed this really works. This gets me out of my head and relaxed. It was wonderful. Uh, so uh, it was it was almost like, to, to better explain, it was almost like that in-between phase of falling asleep where you jolt yourself awake. It was kind of like that. But it was great, so I knew that this was my go-to whenever I needed to get out of my head at night, when I felt stressed, when my mind tends to just race the most, which tends to happen more often than not. (laughs) This is why some uh, with PTSD and anxiety actually practice such things as yoga, yoga nidra, aka somatic meditation, uh, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing and emotional freedom technique for PTSD and related conditions to help one reconnect with their body and regain a sense of control because a lot of times people with with these conditions uh, feel like they're not in control. Uh, These are acknowledged therapeutic treatments that are being offered through some VA programs to combat PTSD and it's fantastic. Uh, When it comes to trauma and PTSD, there's a phenomenal book. You may have heard it or read it yourself. It's called The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Voek. Um, It is heavy on explaining the physiological happenings in regard to mental health issues, but Bessel does such a great job at breaking it all down to understand on a basic level. And it does bring up some very specific stories he's sharing with those with past trauma, such as abuse. Um, It is a very lengthy book, and it does come in an audio version if you prefer something like that. But I just want to mention it is a wonderful resource, but know that there is some content um, that might be hard to hear or read. So going back to the pain gate theory, uh, this is something that I learned way back in massage school. And pain gate theory is, um, if you think about it, if we uh, try to block uh, an area of pain, um, touch via touch, for instance, uh, it is supposed to slow down the firing of pain receptors. And so that's why massage has been found to be very therapeutic for pain. And so that's something that you can actually mentally um, uh, bring into your somatic meditations if you're dealing with pain and you're doing that body scanning or uh, the somatic exercise where you're finding a place of discomfort and then you go back to a place of resource or comfort to get you away from thinking about the place of, of discomfort. Um, and so, uh, you know, touch itself This is something, again, that I discovered in massage school, and I carry this with me to this day. Touch is the only sense we cannot live without. Yes, it's true. We can live without our taste and smell. We can live without our hearing. We can live without our sight, but we cannot live without touch. And I think a lot of society these days um, is suffering from lack of therapeutic, healthy touch. And uh, so keep that in mind that a hug is wonderful, that a massage is wonderful, um, and that therapeutic touch um, is very, very healing for the mind, body, and spirit. So, 
Our bodies and our minds are meant to work in unison. Too often we are stuck in our heads and its messages are, the mind's messages are just confusing, conflicting, um, maybe at even times toxic, basically due to what we've been programmed to think or believe or act or behave. But our bodies have clear, intentional, definitive messages constantly being relayed to us. But if we ignore them, the messages only get louder in the form of pain, injury, and illness. So give your messenger credit, gratitude, and the attention it deserves. It is never wrong. Thank you for tuning in. You made me hear my dog Ajna snoring in the background. Apparently she is way tapped into her parasympathetic nervous system. (laughs) Thank you again for tuning in and I will chat with you soon. Be well.